SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. I am joined today by Colin Drew. We had been doing a series of drafts on Underdog Fantasy in their Best Ball Mania contest, but the season is here, less than a week away, so we are going to take time in today's show to really dig into some DFS strategy for everyone who is listening and watching right now. Colin, uh... The season, it's it's here. We are ready. We are we are a week away from entering DFS contests for real money. I know, man. It's crazy. I don't know if it's the lack of preseason games, preseason DFS contests to sweat, less reporters, I guess, at some of the camps and things like that. But it it feels surreal. It really doesn't feel like the season is going to be starting next week. But I know what next week rolls around is just going to be a buzzsaw. So it's good to take a little bit of time this week to try to, you know. Next week, we'll be talking a lot about week one and thinking a lot about week one. It's a good time to set some macro strategy, try to figure out what our approach is going to be this year. So I'm excited for that. And I know we've also got a big showdown uh, strategy podcast that we're going to drop this week as well. So a lot of good stuff going on. So, you know, I think from the very top level, I think we should talk a little bit about the tools on dailyroto.com and how people can leverage those projections uh you know obviously a little bit of uh, contest and game selection that we can talk a little bit later but i think you know we should start with the daily roto optimizer and projections and using those to create winning nfl daily fantasy lineups yeah absolutely and if you guys do want access to, to daily roto you can drop the promo code nfl20 to save 10 percent off your subscription uh, and we've got a lot of stuff this year for people who've been subscribers in the past. We've got some new stuff that we've added too, all of which should make us kind of a better DFS player. Um, the the kind of foundation of everything is with the customizable projections in the optimizer though. And I think that is something that's really important to make the projections your own. So you're not necessarily just using our projections. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into individual market shares for all of the teams and all of the players, but especially early in the season, there's going to be some things that are unknown. And uh, our projections allow you to tweak inputs like the market share of rush attempts, market share of targets, team totals, game totals. And, you know, there's a lot of unknowns heading into this season. There's not going to be fans at most of these stadiums throughout the whole season. And so, you know, is the home field advantage going to be the same as it normally is? Or is that going to be something that changes this year? And so our projections framework is a really solid mathematically oriented way to to power the optimizer. And obviously the optimizer itself has a lot of custom features and flexibility, too. Yeah, I think that one of the things that uh, savvy daily fantasy players and and season-long fantasy players as well are, are going to be adjusting to on the fly is going to be adjusting to home field advantage or lack thereof. You know, one of the things that uh, the researchers in scorecasting found was that uh, home field advantage is actually really linked to refereeing decisions where, uh, you know, basically that home field teams are, are just much more likely to get refereeing decisions go in their favor. I saw that uh, Ed Fang, who you can find him on Twitter at the power rank, found that over the last five seasons in the NFL, 
home field advantage was worth about one and a half points, uh, you know, sometimes a little bit more on a given year, sometimes a little bit less, but right in around one and a half points. My guess is that actually we see that stay pretty consistent. And this is, this is likely only true for football. I don't think this is going to be true for baseball or anything like that because uh, of the time zone switches and, uh, you know, practice times and schedules and everything. I think that those home field advantages are still really likely to be true in the NFL, probably not for other sports, though. Yeah, and I think the other kind of clear thing where you are losing a bit of an advantage is you think about just the two-minute drill at the end of half, end of a game, and you got the quarterback, they're pointing to their helmet, they can't hear anything, they can't get the play call in, they're calling an audible, and so all of that stuff is going to be totally gone. And for some stadiums, it's a pretty loud and powerful thing. And so you would expect in some of these two-minute drill type situations that road teams will be able to execute a bit more smoothly, less you know miscommunication with the coaches. And so I think some of that will help, obviously, as well. And it may be um, not something that you can quantify, but I do think that you'll see a little bit of an impact there. Some of the other stuff that I'm excited about this year, I think the integration of the floor and ceiling projections in the DR optimizer is something that sets us apart from the competition. Being able to directly run things on ceiling projections is really important for tournaments. And it gives you kind of the power to do that as well as utilize like volatility and shuffle to get player diversity. And then one of the new things we're adding this year is we're actually doing our own ownership projections for the first time this year, instead of using a partner. And so those will be ours based on a lot of the modeling work that Andrew Barron has done. We're going to have those for main slates on both sites. We're also going to have those for showdowns on both sites. And I believe we're going to set it up in a way that we can actually have ownership projections for some of the smaller slates as well. And so if you're trying to grind a lot of different slates, then I, I think that we'll have a really good toolkit for you guys to use on top of all the content that the team's going to be doing. Yeah, I think that uh, we will definitely cover this over our next couple segments. But, you know, really one of the most important things for Daily Fantasy in 2020 is just paying attention to what the field is doing. And really the the simplest way uh, to explain this as it pertains to Daily Fantasy Sports is we can all feel confident in our projections, right? But we are still trying to predict the future. We're trying to figure out which way, you know, uh, an oblong leather ball is going to bounce, you know, and, and uh, it's uh, it is not a very predictable game. Obviously we see this happen in baseball all the time, but just random things are going to happen in a football game. And when you get too confident in a given outcome, you know, you give the field, you give your, your opponents just a lot of different ways to get leverage over your lineup. So I think the fact that we are doing, uh, you know, roster ship percentage projections for showdown is going to be big. I think paying attention to those roster percentage projections in the main slate is also going to be, you know, massively important, even in, even in single entry and three max. I think one of the things that we should be trying to do most often is generate lineups that have uh, a great amount of leverage as opposed to a great amount of projected points. Uh, we are going to go ahead and head into our first break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Career TV. When we return, we're going to go over some basic DFS strategy, stacking, and uh, continue on our DFS discussion for 2020. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're watching SportsGrid. Get on the grid. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. My name is Davis Maddock. I'm joined by Colin Drew. This is our big prep show as we get ready for Daily Fantasy Sports in 2020 uh, on DailyRoto.com. Of course, we are going to have all the projections, optimizing tool, roster projections, you know, everything you need to create the lineups. But of course, you know, at the end of the day, you you still got to pick the players. You still are the one that's going to have to uh, set your rules. Uh, you're going to be the one who's clicking that submit button on FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, I, w- I wanted to start out our discussion for Daily Fantasy uh, with, uh, you know, I actually think this is one of the most misunderstood topics in uh, all of daily fantasy, you know, any daily fantasy sport, and it is quarterbacks that are massive favorites, right? So when we see quarterbacks that are favored by eight, nine, ten points, we actually see them oftentimes come in at a lower roster projection or a lot, an actual roster amount lower than their projection because so many people are saying, well, well, why do I want a quarterback who is just going to spend the entire second half running the ball? And, uh, you know, game script obviously is going to be really important to the ways that we do our projections. But year over year, the thing that we find that correlates the best to fantasy points, it's not spread, but it is team total. And obviously those teams that are, you know, massive favorites, they're going to have giant team totals. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And I think sometimes people overestimate the way that they might get there. And you think about even if it's like a 13-point spread or something like that, a total mismatch, you think about the way that they're going to get there, and you're assuming that they're going to jump out and dominate the entire game. And that definitely doesn't always happen. A lot of times they're not putting teams away until pretty late in the fourth quarter. Um, and then there are cases where the underdogs are actually able to keep it competitive throughout the entire game. They don't necessarily cover the spread. And so in that case, like those games are 10 point games anyways, and and you're going to get a lot of fantasy utility out of the entire game for that. So I definitely think that it is one of the things we've seen really high correlation between team totals and quarterback performances. Um, in general, we've seen the field is actually pretty decent at identifying top value quarterbacks on a week to week basis, more so than they are at like the wide receiver and tight end positions. Um, but I do think that it is important and you definitely don't want to. I mean, it sounds crazy, but you definitely don't want to shy away from a quarterback just because they're a 10-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, those situations. uh, I think Russell Wilson, a great example of this, where, yes, I mean, sometimes it does absolutely burn you when the Seahawks are big favorites, right? I I remember the the Arizona Cardinals at Seattle Seahawks game last year. The Seahawks had a pick six on uh, the, the Cardinals' first offensive drive, and Russ threw, like, 22 passes in that entire game and was, you know, just a massive bust for that week. But then in the other Arizona Cardinals game, Arizona hung with them. It was a really low owned rust spot. And he had, I think, like 38 DraftKings points through two touchdowns to DK Metcalf. Like, and, and he ended up being very under owned in that spot because of the large spread. Yeah. And I think also just you think about that offense in general, that's some, somewhat a nature of the spread and the mismatch of the game, but also just the nature of the offense and an offense in Seattle that is highly efficient, that generally will run a bit fewer plays. And so uh, I think, you know, in those games where the efficiency is there, but they score on the ground, then you definitely suck some of the life out of it. But uh, the the ceiling is definitely really high in those spots. And so you're not really looking to, to avoid that. And I would say in, in general, I think quarterback, I mean, the public roster percentage is important in every position, but quarterback seems to be the position where the field is generally identifying um, slightly better plays. And so it's looking more at like the wide receiver position, I think for differentiation is uh, kind of how 
the analysis that I've done has showed like the biggest edge can be. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously one of the things that you can do to create unique and leverage lineups, if you are, you know, let's say you have Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, you know, just one of these very, very chalky quarterbacks. One of the things you can do to create unique rosters is uh, utilize the bring back, which we will talk about a little bit later in uh, in the show when we get into stacking. Uh, another of the things that uh, tends to come up, you know, four or five times through throughout the year is the dreaded injury replacement running back uh sometimes yeah. it, it works out fantastically latavius murray back-to-back uh 30 plus fantasy point games with alvin kamara out uh but the list of poison chalice running backs last year uh a very long list i mean we had uh jalen samuels come in with uh less than 10 DraftKings points we had uh, uh benny snell have rough performances malcolm brown probably the most owned performance filling in for todd Gurley got injured. Uh, I think he had three DraftKings points against San Francisco. Uh, what are some of the ways that you evaluate just these ultra, ultra chalky injury replacement running backs? Yeah, I, I think the talking point used to just always be play the running back chalk, and there wasn't a lot of kind of like rigorous analysis that went into that and really thought about like what the range of outcomes for those players is. And I think with the tools that we have this year, we're going to be in a much better position to do that. And these were some stuff that Mike Leone had built last year as far as simulating the slates and identifying what the odds are that a player is going to finish as the top running back, the position, the top value at a position. We will have those simulations back. Andrew Barron has kind of updated those, been able to automate those. We'll have an article each week that breaks it down for the main slate, but we'll also have a simulations tool that you're able to dive into on your own to kind of compare that in. I think really that's a, a next level thing that we're looking for is you're really looking for what is the the odds that this guy is going to produce a high enough score that he's going to be on a winning tournament lineup. And how does that kind of compare to where the field is taking a stance on him? And so uh, a lot of times you are going to find the salary relief is so cheap that even if they're 30 percent rostered by the field, there still is value in taking them. But that's not necessarily always going to be the case. And so we will have a little bit of a framework to be able to kind of make those decisions on a week to week basis. Um, the running back, as far as like the field, the field, I would say is efficient at picking running backs, generally better, higher owned running backs do perform better compared to their salary based expectations, but it's not to the same degree as the quarterback position, quarterback kind of being the most predictive running back being kind of the, the second most, then you have the, the volatility of like the wide receiver tight end position. So, um, I think it all depends on the overall roster and what you're thinking that week. If you're pivoting at a lot of the wide receiver or stack positions, then maybe playing those value running backs is still totally fine. But you definitely want to don't want to just construct something that across the board is all the most popular plays unless you're looking at like a cash game or, you know, like a, a 10 man league type system. Yeah. And I think the largest part of evaluating fill in running backs is you just have to ask, especially on DraftKings on FanDuel, you're kind of weighted more towards touchdowns. Yeah. But on DraftKings, you know, uh, the a great example last year, Brian Hill. Brian Hill was a fill in running back for Devonta Freeman when he missed. He ended up losing goal line work to Quadri Olison, though he did hold on to some of the third down work in the case of Malcolm Brown. He lost the third down work to Daryl Henderson, and that ended up being a massive problem. Ty Johnson lost third down work to J.D. McKissick, and obviously these are, you you can substitute these names with whoever you like in 2020, right? When, when Josh Jacob misses, Theo Riddick might play the passing downs, even if Lynn Bowden Jr. is the primary first and second down running back, and the more likely it is that your injury replacement running back is going to hang on to that passing down work, I think you can get 
super aggressive with those guys and maybe even lock buttoning them in a uh, an MME run. Yeah, and a lot of that is going to depend how concrete the news is. And at the end of the day, projection providers are forced to make a decision. They're forced to put a projection on somebody as far as how the work is going to be divvied up. But on a week-to-week basis, there are varying levels of confidence that kind of go into that. And sometimes, like you said, you know that this is a concrete thing where this is the role and this is how it's going to break down. Maybe it's happened in previous seasons. We've seen utilization with the same personnel. Um and then there's going to be cases where it, it hasn't happened before. You know, this running backs never went down. They don't have the same personnel behind them from their last injuries. The, the players they do have haven't seen snaps and spotlight starts, or maybe one of them wasn't active. And so all of that stuff is stuff that you can take into consideration. Whenever I'm certain about a situation, I kind of have the lower volatility score in the optimizer. And when it's something that's a little more variant, I kind of will crank it up a little bit to account for some of that risk, maybe reduce the projections if I think that, two guys might be in more of a timeshare, but crank up the volatility on each of those guys. And I think those are all important decisions that you're making on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I think the volatility and shuffle features in the Daily Road Optimizer do a great job of, uh, you know, eliminating some clumping problems so that your 150th lineup, you know, is not uh, terrible relative to your first. And also, you know, really nailing in on uh, the type of projections you want. You know, wide receiver three, CD Lamb should have a much higher volatility than Tony Pollard, were Tony Pollard to be the, you know, the injury replacement for uh, Ezekiel Elliott. We are going to go ahead and head into another break here on uh, the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to dive deep into stacking. We're going to explain, you know, kind of the concept behind stacking, mathematically why it makes sense in large field, single entry, three max tournaments, and, uh, you know, some of the negative and positive correlations that we can choose to exploit in our tournament builds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. I'm joined by Colin Drew, as this is our large DFS strategy conversation show our uh, our daily fantasy strategy for FanDuel and DraftKings large field contest of course all of our projections optimizers and tools can be found on dailyroto.com and uh, now we we have to get into what I think is the most important concept for people who are choosing to play tournaments right uh, I think for cash games you don't have to think that much about stacking but for tournaments I I really do think that stacking is very important so Colin, from a very high level, can you just kind of get into what stacking is and why it's so important? Yeah, so stacking is essentially playing players together that have correlated outcomes. And that means that when one player succeeds, it's going to dictate what happens with the rest of your roster. The obvious simple example of this is stacking a quarterback with a wide receiver or tight end from their team. And knowing that when the quarterback throws a touchdown to that player, they're both moving up the leaderboard. That the reason that stacking is important isn't because it's the thing that's going to produce the perfect lineup the most often, but it increases the chances that you produce a very strong 90th percentile performance. When one player succeeds, it impacts the rest of your lineup. And 
there's a lot of different levels of stacking that we should get into, including kind of what types of quarterbacks we want to stack with single stacks versus double stacks. Uh, the game stacking is something that's very important, but you are seeking this correlation. And I think almost counterintuitively, people think about correlation mattering less in smaller fields. And I actually think it matters more. I think that some correlation can be really advantageous in single entry and three max, where a lot of people are putting cash game lineups into those contests. And you're not needing a perfect lineup in those contests to win. And so the correlation matters a lot. And kind of double stacking and game stacking and three max and single entry is a really good way to profit over the course of the NFL DFS season. Yeah, so I think that is a really interesting conversation to have about why single entry and three max stacking is so good. And, uh, you know, kind of the easiest way to explain it is if you're going to win the millionaire maker, if you're going to beat, you know, 200,000 other people, you probably have almost the best play at every single position. You probably got, you know, about uh, I I know that uh, our buddy Adam Levitan has written that the average uh, roster spot on a milli making winning team has contributed about 25 DraftKings points. So that means, you know, probably you had the best tight end of the day. You probably had an insanely good uh, defensive special teams performance. Like you, you hit the nuts, right? You just, you really had just all of these amazingly perfect outcomes, but you don't have to score the amazingly perfect outcome to win uh, the $15 single entry or the $333 single entry on, on FanDuel and DraftKings. You know, it really is a lot more simple than that. And, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the way I've been thinking of it is it's much easier to access like 80th percentile outcomes than it is to access 99.999th percentile outcomes. And stacking is way better for that 80th percentile. Definitely. And on, on some weeks, there will be someone that's sub 5% that goes off for 40 points. And in those lotteries, you're definitely just stone dead without that player. That's not always going to be the case in the smaller field stuff. And I think even in a format like leagues, like 10-man contests, where people are playing cash lineups, swapping out like one of those wide receiver positions to get some correlation without sacrificing value is something that would be really advantageous. And in general, like stacking gets talked about all the time in content you probably think that you're stacking, but my guess is you're still not stacking enough. You're still not doing it aggressively enough. And it's okay to take the zeros on weeks where your entire lineup fails. If the weeks that you do hit, it pays you off more. Um, and like specific metrics on game stacks, we'll kind of get into those, but especially as you target high team total games, there are a lot of players that you know succeed in those games. And that doesn't even mean the game has to shoot out entirely. Just if it comes close to the total, it can produce so much fantasy goodness that you really want to get that exposure. Uh, so I think that a great place to start with is is what do you mean by people are not being aggressive enough about their stacking? Because I assume many people listening and watching this are probably the people that are not being aggressive enough with the stacking. Yeah, and and I, I think a good example of that kind of dating back to last year um, was that if you compare what percentage of the field is using certain stack types and what percentage of those lineups finish in the top 0.1%, which you really need to be to contend, especially in the millionaire maker lotteries, there's a huge discrepancy between lineups that finish in the top 0.1% and the number of users that are actually using those lineups. So just as a one raw example, which you can find in our stacking guide, but the QB wide receiver wide receiver stack was in the top 0.1%, 8.2% of the time, but the field was only using it 4.1% of the time. So it was clearly an advantageous strategy that a lot of uh, sharp users are using, but the field in general still isn't there enough. And I think um, a, a lot of times it feels uncomfortable, especially when you start to get into like bring back stacks to sacrifice value. But the reason that you're doing that is to increase the odds that kind of all the pieces of your lineup hit at once. 
Yeah, because if you know, if you think about how an NFL game goes, it's actually one of the games where the opposing team can control the other team's play calling. You know, if the Dallas Cowboys are up 14 points at the end of the first quarter on the New York Giants, the Giants are going to have to run the ball less. They are going to have to throw the ball much more. Therefore, Dak Prescott stacked with Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb, then with Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard in that lineup as well. You are actually uh, causing your lineup to be projected by more points because obviously if you went into your optimizing tool and you gave the Giants a 75 to 25 pass to run ratio, uh, your Giants pass catchers would be projected for way, way, way more points. Exactly. And, you know, one of the metrics in the stacking guide I looked at last year with uh, games where the total was 50 or more points, and then what percent of um, players in those games or what percentage of those games were able to deliver players that multiple players hit 20 plus fantasy points on DraftKings. And um, I know Adam's article called out a higher number for the Million Maker winner, but I think like think just think about 20 points as far as some of these tournaments and needing a player to be able to get that. And so games with totals of 50 or more 63% 63% of them had at least three players that were producing above that level. And 37% of those had four players. 11% of them had five players even. And so you think about stacks, like those are really high numbers. And if you were just going to blindly stack, you know, five men from team totals of 50 plus and have that as like a generic rule throughout the course of the season, I, my guess is you would end up being fairly successful as long as you were filling in with decent value players and projections at other positions just because the success rate is so high. And I think the other thing is the floor is a lot higher than you think when you do that too, because you're stacking good game environments. And even if you've got five players in there, like chances are, like we said, like three of them are definitely going to hit. And there's a pretty reasonable chance that all five will hit too. So uh, I I mean, I think that we also need to tackle the idea of like, is this going to become much more popular in 2020? You know, obviously one of the things that we know is the field gets better every year at DFS, right? The edges become smaller. People are, are tend to, you know, approach things from a more uh, game theory optimal perspective, you know, kind of what is your estimation on what percentage of the field does this? And, and if a greater percentage of the field does this, does that mean that the strategy doesn't change but the games that we are targeting week over week need to change. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't really have an estimate for how the field will change this year. I think it changes a little bit every year. Generally, as more content's out there and more talking points are out there, you know, people start to adjust a little bit. Um, and I would say, as you get into like higher stakes stuff, um, I think that those people are for sure kind of thinking through all these different situations. But especially in like lower lower stake stuff and single entry three max stuff. I, I don't really think you need to be trying to like galaxy brain yourself and pivot off of stacking as a really viable strategy. Yeah. Um, so I think that one thing that people need to do a, a little bit better at is first off, you know, not leaving themselves out. So I, I think that one thing that people do is they might run a subset with bringbacks, right? So maybe if they do 150 lineups, maybe 70 of those lineups, 75 of those lineups will be bringback lineups. But I, I think that kind of if you are going to be doing the 150 thing, I, I do think that you need to be doing 150 lineups, uh, every quarterback double stacked with at least one bring back. And one of the things that I've noticed about the bring back is that gets you access to all sorts of dudes who are really, really low owned. Like you, you find yourself with like 
3% owned guys who you have for, you know, 18 uh, fantasy points or whatever. Like that is, that is one of the ways to generate super unique lineups I've found. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, I want to, I think that the double stack is like a solid foundation. I do think it varies by quarterback and I do want to get a little bit into the quarterback kind of archetypes. And if you're a Russian quarterback versus a hybrid quarterback versus a pocket, a passer how you would kind of think about stacking those players um and then one of the other things if you don't want to force the bring back in like all of your lineups the daily road optimizer actually lets you use boosts so that you could draw the correlation in a smart way that way and you could basically say that whenever i'm using a quarterback from this team boost the opposing wide receivers projections by 15 percent that way if the guys on the other team are extremely bad values you're not going to get quite as much as them but um, in the games where it's competitive and players are kind of close together in values, it's always going to prioritize the stack guy. And I think that's kind of the the smartest way to go about building in the correlation. Um, but if you, if you can't do that, then I do think that I would try to advocate for stacking as much as you can with the double stacks and the bring back. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I mean, one of the problems and one of the things that you have to try and solve for on a weekly basis, too, is, you know, let's say you're you're stacking Matt Ryan. And so, you know, oftentimes you're double stacking him with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, uh, Hayden Hurst is there are there are some ways that you need to try and uh, build it in so that you were also getting Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley as one offs as well, because obviously you you want to have some Julio Jones away from Matt Ryan, you know, and, and that is uh, that is, again, you know, one of the challenges of, uh, you know, of building in an optimizer, not building by hand. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I think about three max lineups, I'm, I usually build with an optimizer, but hand edit just to make sure that I'm kind of comfortable with everything there and then use the optimizer for like 150 max. Um, and like you said, the stackability of different offenses matters a lot too. And so there could be an offense that kind of projects worse on the whole, but they've been a highly more stackable offense. And um, I think targeting some of those offenses is an important way to go as well as trying to figure out ways that within a, a stack, you can also kind of differentiate um, and get contrarian with while still having exposure to like the, the chalkiest uh, like quarterback of the week or whatever. Uh, all right, everyone. Thank you very much. We are now going to go ahead and head into our uh, second to last break here on the Daily Roto Hour. When we return, we are going to be digging into the week one FanDuel NFL DFS slate. Going to take a look at the projection, some of our stacking options. See you guys in a few minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back here to the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. My name is Davis Manick. I am joined by Colin Drew. This is our DFS show this week on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV, just kind of breaking down DFS strategy. We've done a lot of strategy talk. We've done some stacking talk, kind of explain that mistakes people are making. And uh, now we are going to dig in week one FanDuel DFS. It's here the slates are here. The salaries are here. We are uh, we are ready to go. We've ran the Daily Road Optimizer. We kind of have a sense of what direction that is going to uh, to send us in. Colin, how are we doing, buddy? We're doing good. Uh, if you guys want to check out the Optimizer, it's actually free up right now through um, basically the beginning of next week. So we'll be going back behind the paywall 
on Monday of week one of the NFL season. But if you want to test it out, if you never used it before, if you want to test building lineups, you can definitely go through and, and do that as well. And so um, the rosters aren't finalized for these teams. We're still getting news out of the camps and then there'll be cuts. And so the projections will change before week one, obviously, but, but I do think we're in a decent place to at least take a first look at some of the salaries at the positional level. And uh, we do lose some good quarterbacks, obviously Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson on that opening showdown slate. They're off the slate. Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, Sunday night or Monday night, they're off the slate. So, I mean, it's Lamar at quarterback, and then there's a massive gap. I do think that it's pretty easy to fit in Lamar this week just because there is some value that opens up with injuries that happen in preseason and kind of guys moving up and down the depth charts. So I think it's going to be pretty easy to fit in Lamar, but he's definitely the clear quarterback one. And then there's kind of a massive gap between uh, a jammed group of guys that both have upside, but also some kind of like questions and concerns. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I actually am very glad to be starting the year without uh, without a Patrick Mahomes slate. You know, I think that my my natural homerism for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs gets the best of me. Really, to make optimals, Mahomes does have to have like 400 yards and five touchdowns because he's always so freaking expensive. So it is it is nice to, uh, to you know, to be leaving myself uh, that out right away. And uh you know, Lamar Jackson is uh, much more expensive than every other quarterback on the slate. But, uh, Colin, we have him projected six points better than every other slate or than every other quarterback on the opening day slate. And uh, I, I got to say, I think it's pretty legit. I, I think that there you really can't argue the fact that he is, uh, you know, that much better than everyone else. Yeah, and especially just the way that the slate shook out. Um, I mean, the, the Ravens do have one of the highest team totals on the slate, and I think that Lamar is going to be like a foundation point, especially for cash game lineups. During week one, this, this type of price tag on him wouldn't be as sustainable in other weeks where the pricing gets a little bit more efficient, but uh, I think it's there for week one. Some of the questions I have as we move down, I think two of the, you know, one of the most popular games to target a game stack for would be that Tampa Bay, New Orleans game. You have Tom Brady coming in really highly correlated offense in Tampa Bay with my, or last year it was at least with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You don't know how that offense will change with Brady there, but you know that you're getting a good game environment in the Superdome. You know, you're getting a high game total there. And then breeze is obviously on the other side is able to open it up as well with Michael Thomas. So um, those were some of the guys that I think kind of jump out as like the tournament options Two of the guys that I think project really well, but have some more question marks and wanted to get your input on was uh, both Cam Newton and Carson Wentz, who actually are inside the top five quarterbacks during week one. So I don't have any concerns about Carson Wentz. I think, you know, he right now he's dealing with like a small injury while he's at training camp. But I think the matchup is great. Um, you know, I think that uh, he has a little bit of ability to run. We've actually seen him put up fine fantasy numbers in very similar situations where his wide receivers are, are dropping off left and right. Right now, Cam Newton is being projected like fully healthy Cam Newton, like a, a Cam Newton who is capable of running, a Cam Newton who is going to complete, you know, roughly 58 to 62 percent of his passes against a, a and now remember also the Miami defense. They were historically one of the worst secondaries ever in NFL history last year. Uh, our algorithm is feeding in a lot of that information theoretically they should be better this year it's not really reflected in the line you know uh new england is is a massive favorite at home against miami my sense is that probably you should not run cam newton at just what the optimizer is giving you because of all these questions we have cam newton health questions uh, you know a lot of this different stuff but 
you know, really outside of Lamar and, and Russell Wilson, I don't see a quarterback with more upside than him in this slate. Yeah, and it's it's pretty interesting. And I, I think between that and the fact that the Patriots aren't a very stackable offense, I do think it would lead people away from him in tournaments. And so I think because of that, it's going to be pretty appealing for tournaments. I don't think if I was playing cash games, I think even despite the price savings, it would be tough to get comfortable with what that offense is going to look like. They've even talked about the possibility of using like a platoon at times, which seems a little crazy. But um, and I know Cam's been getting the majority of the first team reps. He's definitely going to be the starter. The other thing is on FanDuel, touchdowns matter quite a bit. And Cam is projected for 23% of the rushing touchdowns for the Patriots. The Patriots are going to have a lot of competition for goal line carries. Uh, I mean, you've got James White with the passing game. You've got Cam now. On the goal line, you've got Sonny Michelle, Damian Harris playing more, Rex Burkhead getting a role in the preseason. And so you could end up with a situation where it's, uh, a, you know, not a clear thing and Cam doesn't get as much goal line work as he had had in the past. And so I think that's one of the things that is just like a, a risk or uncertainty about Cam's specific projection. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that kind of just looking at uh, at projections, I think that our stuff might be a little just a tiny bit low on Russell Wilson and that he might uh, get a little bit of a manual bump for me, especially because uh, I love to pair him with DK Metcalf, who is only 6,400 in the opening week on FanDuel. And uh, I got to say, there's a pretty much a perfect marriage between DK Metcalf and, uh, and FanDuel scoring system where it's only half point PPR and you really get rewarded for touchdowns. Yeah, definitely. We kind of glossed over one of the other reasons that I think Lamar Jackson will be popular is just like Hollywood Brown is 5,900 on FanDuel during week one. And so fitting in the Lamar stack is not a very hard thing to do. Um, moving to the to the running back position, you know, what the biggest question, I guess, is just what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara, because yeah, we've got him as the second highest projected running back on the slate. I think all of that makes sense. Uh, but there's a chance Latavius Murray just steps into that whole workload. You talked earlier in the show about what Latavius did when he filled in for Kamara last year. And so that is just another value place that's going to change the slate entirely if it does open up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would I would think that you would just kind of lock button Latavius Murray in 50, that situation. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, you would just play him in. Uh, you would just play him in every lineup. Uh, you know, I think for FanDuel specifically, Something that we might see is Austin Eckler getting underowned because he is, you know, a, a receiving back. People don't think of him as a, as a touchdown scorer, but actually, uh, you know, Eckler's huge games last year were very driven by touchdown scoring. It is an advantageous matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. My guess is that at 7,700, you know, we see Gurley, we see Aaron Jones, we see Joe Mixon, you know, all uh, on way more rosters than we see Austin Eckler. So I, I, I am liking early on, Austin Eckler as a leverage play on FanDuel. Two other running back situations I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, the first one in Detroit seems likely that DeAndre Swift may not be ready for the opener. He's a rookie that I know both of us were high on in best ball drafts, but rookies in general build more progressively as the season goes on. And then the injury in camp could impact the week one role, whether or not he's even active or how involved he is in the game plan. Carrion Johnson is $5,600 on FanDuel. And so um, the matchup with Chicago is... Not the best, not the worst. It's definitely a matchup where if he's getting goal line work, the Lions should be able to score points. He's the best value on the slate, I think, it right now at the running back position if we don't get Latavius Murray at 5,100. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so right now in our stuff, we are, I, I am projecting DeAndre Swift out. I, I don't think that he, I do not think that he is likely to play in week one. I am giving Bo Scarborough a little bit of work. Uh, but you know, again, there is a, there's a possibility that Bo Scarborough, who has also not been at practice, doesn't play. So if they're, if their backfield really is carry on Johnson, Ty Johnson, and, uh, the fullback Nick Bowden, uh, I mean, I, uh, that's probably going to impact on Johnson's projection, probably going to give him another point or so. My guess is he's going to start hitting optimals at uh, at that rate and is going to be kind of a, a building block level play. Yeah, and then the other guy that would kind of be in that conversation in that game of the Superdome would be Ronald Jones, whose price is 5700 A lot of questions in the Tampa backfield, but um, from all reports, Bond hasn't had the best training camp, so even if he matters later in the season, unlikely to be in week one. And uh, so you've got Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber's gone. They've got LaShawn McCoy, who was uh, not active for the Super Bowl. And so I think Ronald Jones would kind of be in that secondary mix. But we've got to talk about the Todd Gurley-sized elephant in the room at the running back position for week one. Look, I mean, I, I am using kind of his seasonal baselines for our projection right now. And when Todd Gurley is healthy, I, I think that the Falcons plan on using him like they used uh, Dev- Devonta Freeman like they used Tevin Coleman before him, like they used Steven Jackson before him. Like I, this this team, this coaching staff, they pretty much do just use the top guy and then they mix in. Uh, you know, when when Freeman started to falter and Coleman was coming on, they they kind of inter, they intertwined those guys. I don't think that their plan is to do that uh, that much right now. So, I, I yeah, I mean, I think we kind of need to be in on Todd Gurley at this price while he's healthy, as disgusting as that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair. It's going to be a challenge. It's definitely going to test your kind of trust of the projections and your mental willpower to click Todd Gurley into the lineups. But uh, I definitely think that there is upside there, especially while he's healthy at the wide receiver position. I think there's some really good values, especially under $7,000 on FanDuel. Terry McLaurin, if you're getting in those Eagles game stacks at all, his cost is just 6,500 Calvin Ridley. If you do project an increased role for him this year, he's $6,600 on FanDuel. Marquise Brown is $5,900. Those guys were the guys that jumped out to me as uh, kind of either one-off plays or compliments in game stacks that have a lot of upside at really cheap prices. Yeah, I mean, what do you... So I I actually think Hollywood Brown, here is a great inflection point for us. He is priced at... 5900 at uh, at at fanduel.com and you know pretty much the entire fantasy football playing world fell in love with Marquise Brown this offseason he gained 15 pounds of muscle played with a screw in his foot last year uh i mean i i would expect him to be the most rostered wide receiver by by quite a bit what do we what do we do with uh with Hollywood Brown in in these large field tournaments yeah, I mean, I'll have to wait till I see the simulations for him, but I, w- I would agree with the take just that the public roster percentage should be the highest of any individual wide receiver. Uh, Lamar was actually pretty interesting as a stack last year, uh, just because obviously he had tons of individual games where he was hitting his ceiling like 14 games above 20 plus fantasy points, but it was pretty hard to stack them. You definitely had a lot of correlation with Mark Andrews. And then you had a little bit of correlation with Hollywood Brown. He was seeing an inconsistent role on and off. So I think maybe you could count on closer to like Andrew's level of consistency this year if he's healthy. But the other guy who was surprisingly correlated with Lamar was Mark Ingram, who hit his ceiling in 36% of the games that Lamar did. And that was the highest of any mark on the Ravens. And so I mean, maybe an underutilized stack is actually just like the Ravens onslaught in keeping Mark Ingram kind of in that mix to get the mop up duty. Um, so I, I thought that was one of the more interesting 
thoughts as far as if you were trying to find ways to get creative with Baltimore without loading up like a chalk Hollywood Brown. Yeah, and you can also pair uh, Mark Andrews with Lamar Jackson. My guess is that being 7400 more expensive than Darren Waller, uh, more expensive than Zach Ertz, is going to keep Andrews a little bit relatively uh, lower-owned on FanDuel. My my sense is that uh, that Zach Ertz is going to be very popular on FanDuel. Mike, uh, Mike Gesicki, 5400 going to be pretty popular. Uh, I am kind of leaning towards some breakout week one guys, so I think that TJ Hawkinson at 5300 is uh, is interesting to me. I'm waiting for some reports on Seattle tight ends, but I, I really like that Seattle at Atlanta game. I think that's probably one of the highest probability shootout games for week one. And, uh, you know, if, if we get a good report on Greg Olson or Will Disley, those guys are definitely going to make it in some stacks for me. Uh, we are going to go ahead and head into our final break here on the Daily Rotor Hour. We just wrapped up some FanDuel NFL DFS discussion. Of course, earlier on in the show, we discussed stacking and some really high-level uh, daily fantasy sports discussion on FanDuel and DraftKings. So I hope that you guys are really enjoying it, and we're going to wrap it all up here in just a few minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into our final segment here on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew. We are going to wrap today's show up by uh, just trying to get an answer to what we most want to learn uh, from week one of the NFL season. I think there are a lot of different ways to go with this one. I think one of the most interesting for fantasy football, both for DFS and season long, is what the Indianapolis Colts plan to do with Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naheem Hines. If Jonathan Taylor comes out week one, gets 18 carries, four targets, and Marlon Mack you know, plays on 15% of the snaps or something. I'm uh Colin, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty mad at myself for not just drafting Jonathan Taylor in the second round uh, all year long, because uh, you know, that, that is certainly the recipe for a breakout. So that's a situation that I'm really looking forward to, uh, to figuring out. Yeah, that, that one's going to be pretty challenging to figure out. I believe that they're on one of the showdown slates, the opening. Oh no, they're not. They're on the main slate. It's just a 1 PM showdown. I was trying to check out, but um. I think that's going to be an important one. It does sound like the coach speak is that Mac is still the starter, which I would expect at least early in the season. They'll still give him some work, even if Taylor looks better. But for me, the thing I want to most know the most about is how the departure of Tom Brady to Tampa Bay and arrival of Cam Newton impact those two offenses specifically. With Brady, I think it's really important because the Bucks were one of the most valuable offenses to stack during the 2019 season. If he steps in and runs a high-powered correlated offense through Godwin and Evans, that's going to be extremely important for DFS. Whereas if he runs a more widely distributed offense like he ran in New England, and he's able to bring in OJ Howard for targets, Gronk for targets, Cam Bray for targets, running backs for targets, that's going to suck some of the fantasy value, not just out of Evans and Godwin, but out of the stacks there. So I'm really curious about the Brady impact. And then conversely, Cam coming into this Patriots offense, they already like to operate pretty run heavy. Are they going to use Cam in a heavy running role? Are they going to transition not quite into like a Baltimore style offense, but an offense that kind of can play that run heavy and kind of control the clock and play good defense. And how does that impact the rest of those receivers? 
Uh, so those, I think, are two of the most important questions, not just for week one profits and results, but kind of that would dictate what your strategy might be to attack teams weeks two through five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the ta- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, actually, that's probably an even better question than mine. They were one of the most fantasy-friendly offenses last year. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how optimistic I feel about them being fantasy-friendly in 2020. Everyone, thank you very much for listening and watching the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. Uh, this was our Daily Fantasy preview show. Went through a bunch of Daily Fantasy theory. Went through a bunch of stacking explanation and also a week one preview on FanDuel for Daily Fantasy. So thank you very much for listening and watching. We will see you back next week. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.